0: Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 431 of the podcast. It's November 10th, 2021. My guest today is Sonia Singh. You'll learn more about her in a minute. If you want to find links and show notes, more information about Sonia, her website, and more, You can go to leanblog.org slash 431. If you like the episode, please rate and review the episode or share it with a friend and a colleague on social media. Now, here's the episode with Sonia Singh. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Our guest today is Sonia Singh. She is a certified Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt. She's an executive coach and professor with 19 years of experience in healthcare operations, management consulting, leadership development, and culture transformation. So before I tell you a little bit more about Sonia, first off, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
1: Thank you so much, Mark. I'm really excited to be here.
0: I'm um, looking forward to uh, the, dis- the discussion and, and what you're going to share with us um, today. But, uh, you know, Sonia is uh, the founder of Sonia Singh International. And one of her offerings is called the Influential Leadership Academy, where she helps leaders build emotional intelligence and master their influence. So you can learn more about that online at InfluentialLeadershipAcademy.com. Um, she was previously an employee at uh, a, a couple of different healthcare systems and Cardinal Health. So you, you've seen a couple of different sides and dimensions of our, our broader healthcare system, Sonia, right? That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. On the provider side, on the provider uh product development side and um, manufacturing side, so kind of a little bit of everything within healthcare.
0: Yeah, so we'll have a chance to hear more about that here today, and um, final notes on her background. Sonia has a d- degree in psychology from Northern Illinois University, a master's degree in health administration from Tulane University, and she completed her professional coaching training at the University of California, Davis. Um so, Sonia, you know, if, if I have any one standard work question, you know, for guests here, yeah, you know, I like to hear people's lean origin stories. Or in your case, you know, it was a, a lean Six Sigma master black belt. I mean, what's your origin story in terms of how and where you got first introduced um, to these methodologies?
1: Sure, Mark. So I started off my career in managing a couple of medical practices. And while I was in that job in operations, as, as anyone in operations knows, you know, majority of your time is spent with people issues and putting out fires and all of that. Um, but there was a big need at that time to, to improve our processes because we were losing a lot of money. So the clinic had really high expenses and revenue just wasn't coming in. And so I was asked to, to look at what to do. Um, so there was no specific framework that I used or anything like that. It was just, we were looking at different ways to reduce waste. And so we did that. And as I did that, I discovered how much I loved doing that kind of work. And so I left that job to become a management consultant. And that's where I really started learning about process improvement. And the consulting firm that I worked for, uh, which was a part of Cardinal Health, uh, they merged with another company who that was a Lean Six Sigma company. And so that's where I was introduced to Lean Six Sigma, world and I became a black belt. And, you know, through that, I just fell in love with process improvement with lean specifically. And I just kind of continued on that path for many years until uh, probably about, you know, a couple of years ago where I started to kind of shift uh, that path a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, so thinking back to the time in the medical practice, I mean, what what are some of the things you remember, you know, along the lines of reducing waste, some of the things that were, were high impact or just kind of stand out as, as interesting improvements back then.
1: You know the, the most interesting things that I found were the, the solutions that were so simple had such big impact. I think that was what was most surprising to me and to everyone else. Very little small changes where you know we started we had um, we had a cutoff of when we had to submit our charges and charges were not being submitted when we looked into it that was one of the ways charges were being submitted too late. And so we were not getting reimbursed. So we shifted the timeframe of when we were, you know, asking for all the physicians to, you know, submit their charges. And there was, it was a little tweak. It was a little tweak and um, it was actually a more of a personal (laughs) issue. So we had a, a staff member the coder and the biller who was, who was helping us do this work. It was so dependent on her, you know, working with the providers And and as I dug into it, we found out that, you know, she had a a severe social anxiety about just, you know, meeting with providers and asking them to do something. So we figured out a way, I helped her figure out a way where she could still let them know when something was due and she didn't have to be there in person. She didn't have to, you know, know, face her social anxiety. And so, you know, so we figured that out. And by making that one small little change, I mean, she literally just, we, we made a little card with a date on it. And we placed it on everyone's desk the, you know when it was due. And then we had a little process of how to follow up. And all of a sudden, our charges started coming in on time. We started making more money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was kind of pretty insane how small that little change shifted the behavior of the providers.
0: And I hear elements. I mean, that's that's a great story. Elements of not just continuous improvement around the process, but Respect for people, or as you know, the Shingo framework would say, respect each individual. That respect comes through, and 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 talking with with her and what her needs were.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So in the past, it was you know this this is the date that it's due, and you know why isn't this done? And there was a lot of uh, you know pushing, and and you know finding out that you know this is something that okay. This is what someone is dealing with. And, you know, how can I, as, as her manager, how can I help her meet her goals, but also help her through that process? And so we figured something out that worked for both ends. Um, and there were many other stories like that, where it's like these small little tweaks really end up making a big difference uh, in, in the outcome. Um, another thing that we did was we had a lot of bad debt. And so we were just losing a lot of money because people were not paying their bills and there's a lot of money and a lot of uh, a bad debt due to being in collections. And so we just did a small little thing where our front staff, we created a script and they would start asking people, hey, did you know you had, you know, uh, a... you had, you know, this much in your, in your account. And, you know, would you like to pay that today? And majority of people didn't even realize that they, they had anything, <laughs> wow. you know, that they owed anything or yeah. they didn't even realize there was anything in collections. And so they appreciated the fact that people, so this small little change of like changing their script, all of a sudden it just completely changed how the, the business ran. Wow. And a lot of times, I mean, you
0: know, they're, there's a fine line between process improvement and sometimes it's process establishment. If um, there's,
1: and, <laughs> that's and, true. And, yeah, yeah, definitely. And and another thing, the a big thing. This is probably the biggest change that we made was our services as we were providing. And we were this was a specialty clinic for pediatrics, so really sick kids. So you know, very um, highly, you know, sensitive, um, you know, kind of. Uh, process that we were going to offerings that we were you know providing um, to the community. And so our providers were really attached to the, to the patients, of course, you know, these are little kids that are very sick. And so there was not a lot of uh, the clinicians wanted to do their job, but they did not want to bill. They did not want to even talk about money to the patients. And that was causing a lot of problems uh, clearly. Right. So we're not making any money. And so we're losing, losing, losing. And pretty soon our clinic's going to close because we're not actually capturing any of the um, of the revenue that you know we uh, we need to make. And so just helping the providers understand that it's not about money, but we need money to stay open so that we can keep providing the service to our patients. And if we stay, if we close, we can't provide that service. So helping them understand that, yes, quality and service comes first. But we also have to, you know, submit our charges on time. And we, so this is what we have to do. So we kind of had to come to this this uh, mutual understanding of, okay, what's really important and what really needs to happen. I'll handle the business side, but I need you to kind of meet me halfway. So we do this the right way.
0: I'm sure you've heard the expression and some in the audience will as well. uh, No margin, no mission, right? I mean, you've got to keep the doors open, but as as you stated so well, it's not only margin that these things can go hand in hand, safety and quality and access to care and customer service can lead to better margin.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So thinking back to, you know, some of the other steps, you know, it is fair to say you worked as an internal consultant to a couple of broader health systems. What would tell us about those roles?
1: Sure. Uh So, well, initially I was an external consultant. So Mm -hmm. I worked for this consulting firm and I had clients, we had external clients all over the place and so I worked for hospitals, clinics, just, you know, all over the place. And then when this company merged with, uh, with another one that was a Lean Six Sigma company, that's when I really became an internal consultant. I became a black belt and then started consulting for our company. Um, so, so that shift happened um, after a couple of years.
0: Mm-hmm. But then you did have roles internal to health systems,
1: right? Yes, yes, I did. And so I, I, I was working for a pharmaceutical division. So looking at like pharmacy services Then shifted over to um, an inpatient side and um, over the last, I would say decade or so, been on the provider side. So really helping um, on the inpatient side, helping inpatient, uh, just doing some inpatient improvements, looking at the outpatient side, helping our, you know, helping different ambulatory uh, settings, you know, just helping them improve their processes. Um, So yeah, so I would say over the last decade or so, I've been doing more um, of that kind of work. Mm -hmm.
0: And and so looking back at that decade or so, I mean, what are some of the best experiences that you had working in healthcare? I know that's, it's it's an intentionally broad question, but.
1: You know, I would say, I mean, I've had a lot of great moments, a little, you know, great times where my teams have really collaborated well with the organization. And there's this shared mission to make things better for everyone involved. So it's not just, oh, we're doing this just for the company to save money. Or we're only doing this for the patients and nobody cares about the employees. It was so there have been, you know, times I, I one particular time I can think of is when we first launched our lean organization at this one health system. It was a very exciting time. And, and we started off with just showing some improvements by doing some projects. We had no, we had no um, really team. It was just we were just doing projects. Showed some of these quick, quick hits, these quick improvements. Saw what we can do when we start kind of pulling people together, and, and you know, make these rapid improvements. And all of a sudden, the, the leaders in the organization were like, "Wow, this is something. This is great. We need more of this." And then we formed this this uh, formal kind of organization within this health system. That was very exciting um, because that was that was a, a time where. It, it was everyone in the organization felt, it felt like everyone was so aligned with the mission and they understood what we were trying to do. And we were really partnering up with the operational leaders. You know, there was this, okay, you know, we're, we're coming in and you are the, the, the expert in what you do. We're just coming in with the methodology. We're going to teach you, we're going to work with you and alongside you, and we're going to teach you how to do this. Uh, that was really fantastic. And, and I just do, I just remember the, even the first year that we launched that that lean organization um, we had a, f- a four to one return on investment just that first year uh, which was fantastic and it's you know it, it, it was a really exciting time and um, I can't say that that always has happened but that is one particular time I remember that was uh really exciting
0: well, I think you know, the one thing you mentioned there that's so powerful is that mission in healthcare and, and when you can get people aligned around, moving things in, in a better direction. That doesn't make change easy, but I think it gives you really a fighting chance when you can you know, rally people around a cause like safety or outcomes or waiting times or you know, things like that do, I think, really matter to people in healthcare. Like, I think as you were you know, saying earlier, um, it's a stronger motivation than focusing um, on things like you know, the, the billing and the financials. Let that be an end result of doing everything else.
1: Exactly. And the way that we looked at it was that all the financial gains, that was a byproduct of what we were doing. We didn't aim to try to save you know, any particular amount of money. We weren't trying to do that. We were just trying to make improvements. We had um, quality metrics. We had service metrics. We had other metrics. And then the financials just showed up because that's, that's what happens when you make improvements. You end up seeing improvements in the financials as well. Yeah.
0: And you know, thinking back over those experiences, um, like you said, sometimes it's not easy doing this improvement work in healthcare. You know, um, beyond formal education, there's you know the school of hard knocks, if you will. I mean, can you think back to a lesson that was learned the hard way that that has served you well with the mm-hmm. work you do today?
1: What I have found, and this is not just in healthcare and not just in process improvement, I think this is a lesson that can be applied anywhere you work. The lesson that I have learned is, you know, you might be ready. You might be a, let's say a lean practitioner or a lean 6 sigma practitioner, or whatever. You're excited about this. You, you know how to do this. You're You go in and, okay, let's do this. But the people you're working with may not be ready. They may not Welcome you with their with open arms. and most cases they probably won't. <laughs> and so, and I think um earlier earlier in my career, I was naive enough to think that everyone was going to be open, you know, opening up their arms and saying, "Hey, you know, we have this resource. let's let's do this." And that's not always the case. And it's rarely actually the case, right? <laughs> so so you are really figuring out, okay, how do you meet people where they are? So well, there's two options. I see there. One is to say, hey, you know what, is this organization even ready? If they're not ready, maybe this is not the best time for me to come in and help them. Get ready. Here are some things that you can do to get ready. The second option is to help them get ready. So the second option, that's more of the the coaching aspect that you know that now I use is where I meet them where they are. All right, let's figure out what is the resistance. What's going to what is it going to take for them to become ready? And you know, what are their major Issues for the resistance. And if I can, if I can understand their mindset around why they're resisting and help them and help them see that, you know, I'm really there to help them. Um, And the the thing that I learned is that data dumping in the beginning doesn't work, right? You know, so data is important, but when you share that up front, when they're already, they've made up their mind, this is not right. I don't want, I don't want anything to do with this, and you're sharing facts with them, it it doesn't really, it doesn't make a difference, right? So when that happens, that's when you have to uh, really win over their hearts and see, help them figure out how this, you just kind of connect with them in a different way. And once you build that trust, build that rapport, now you can move into, okay, here are the facts. Let's figure out what we need to do next. Um, so that's kind of something that I had to learn by just kind of getting into it and learning and failing and then, you know, learning from those mistakes.
0: And we, we need to talk about learning from mistakes. I think we might be able to do separately an, an episode of my favorite mistake together at some point, right, Sonia?
1: Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure we'll have lots to talk about.
0: <laughs> we, we, I, I, I'm not putting, so I don't think I'm putting Sonia on the spot. We had chatted about that uh, previously. So hopefully, hopefully that'll be uh, the case at some point, have a discussion around that because like, I mean, that really is a key learning from mistakes and, and moving forward and, getting better um let, let me do a quick process check, and i may give transparency to the listeners here I, like there's some flooring being installed up above me or anything is that sound coming through the microphone at all i
1: can hear it yeah i can hear it
0: i will do my best i can edit that out <laughs> from so so that sound isn't there at least when uh, when you're speaking but um so it goes, but um, you know, I want to talk more. Uh, we have a chance here to explore coaching. You know, in the the thirty minutes or so that we have left, um, you know, first off, I mean, how did you decide um, to to go out and and start your company and start working independently?
1: Well, it was a decision that that took place over many years of thinking about it. <laughs> so I had thought about. Coaching for many many years, but you know, I'd, I'd be swayed against it because I would think, no, this is this is too risky. I I love the thought of it. I I really wanted to attend this program. I had heard about this program for many years, but it just was a lot of it was a big you know financial investment, and I wasn't really sure what am I going to do with this. I don't really know how this fits in, right? And I also was afraid to lose my skills. I was afraid of losing all this that I had built up, right? If I if I shift career now, like, you know, what will, what will that do? Will I have to start all over? Right. And and being able to, you know, be willing, being willing to kind of start back at the beginning is a very scary thing. And so I think I, I pushed it off for a long time. And um, my story is actually it was a, it was several years ago, I was sitting in a boardroom with a bunch of CEOs, senior executives. And I remember just wanting to just crawl out of my skin. <laughs> I wanted to just leave the room and I couldn't understand why.
0: why. Yeah. Oh, you didn't understand. know why.
1: I didn't know why. I was like why? Mm-hmm. Why and I and I felt um, like uh, ungrateful. And I was like why I should be very happy to be at this table to have a seat at this table. I should be very happy. Why am I not satisfied? Why am I not happy to be here? And I remember like really reflecting on it um, and then it hit me. Actually, there was something that a friend of mine said to me. Several weeks earlier, he said to me, uh, "I was in the dumps again, and I, you know, I was uh, must have been complaining to him. And he said, Sonia, 'Sonia, you're so good at propping other people up. Why can't you do that for yourself?'" And I remember it was a shock to me. It was a shock to my ego, and um, I was like, "What do you mean?" And you know, and so yeah. I had to really think about that. And it was that that day when I was in that meeting, and I was just like, "Why I don't want to be here? Why don't I want to be here?" And then. It it all clicked, and I thought, "Wow, I'm not doing really what I need to do." Up until that point, yes, you know, for for a long time, I actually really enjoyed what I did. But it was there was a point where I wasn't enjoying what I was doing as much anymore, and I had this like this internal like this desire to do something different, but I was so scared to do it. And all of a sudden, it clicked. I am so good at helping people figure out their path. I'm so good at just helping you know, motivate people to kind of go forward, take that next step. And that is how I could help myself. And I was like, what if that is how I could help myself? That was a day that I went and applied for coaching school.
0: So did did that moment and that recognition, would you say it eliminated the fear or it just made the fear or the risk tolerable, all things considered?
1: It made the risk tolerable and it made it like worth it. It was like, yes, this is a risk. But first of all, I don't have to quit my job right now. I can do this and keep working and figure out my, I don't have to have all the answers. I think a lot of times we get stuck because we want all the answers we want everything. We want this like certainty, this guarantee that if I go do this, I will succeed and I will know all the answers. I'll know how to do it. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just made the decision that I'm going to become a professional coach. How, when, I don't know, but I just made that decision and that was enough for me for that time. And I just um, felt confident in that I'll figure out my next steps once you know. I figure out this next one, then after that, I'll figure out that next one.
0: So I'd be curious to hear more about the formal education. It's one thing anybody can say they're a coach, but then to go and get formal education and or certification. Like, can you tell us kind of like just scanning the landscape, UC Davis is is pretty local to you. Um, But tell tell us about that program and the decision to go do that formally.
1: Sure. So I had been looking at the UC Davis program for many years. I had heard great things about it. I knew it was a really fantastic program. So I I attended, it was a a five-month program, very rigorous we had 150 hours, uh, contact hours, and I had to go through, there's testing, there's, um, there's. you actually have to uh, coach in front of, you know, people and you have to, you know, you're recorded and you have to go through all these different series of tests uh, to, to, to get your certification. Um, so I did that formally, uh, but I also was practicing all along. So I didn't wait until, I think that was one thing that I'm really glad I didn't do. I didn't wait until I was, had a certification because you 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 need to start, you know, testing the, these things out all along. And um, coaching is something that, yes, once I went through the program, I realized, wow, I was doing a lot of things I thought was coaching, but I it wasn't. But at the end of the day, did I, you know, hurt anyone? No. So I'm glad I still tested and I still, you know, co- tried to coach people, help people. Um, but going through the formal program, I really learned the difference between coaching, mentoring, consulting, counseling, you know, therapy, there's like the, there's these overlaps but they are different. And just ha- having that understanding of what they all are helped me to then be a better to be of better service to others.
0: Um I'd be curious to hear an example, you know, you you reflected on, you know, things I thought was coaching, but wasn't like, what, what's one example of, of a behavior or a practice that you might try to help coach others through? If you saw them, like if you're coaching a coach or somebody yeah. trying to be like a coach in a workplace.
1: One is sharing your personal experience. That is falls under mentoring. So, you know, a mentor, someone who's been there, done that, and, and you're looking to them for advice. That's different. That's not coaching. So as a coach, you really don't need to share your personal experience you, you need to be focused on the other person you really need to be focused on the person who's being coached and help them figure out their insights so um so the the theory so it's kind of the whole concept behind coaching is you know as a coach you are partnering up with this with the coachee you're not above them you are not their mentor you're not you know more educated or more experienced than them they're it it you're right there right next to them you're helping them along through their journey of of development. And so with that in mind, if you're equals, then, you know, it really doesn't matter what your experience is. It's not about you. And so, um, that was one thing that I was like, Oh, okay. I was sharing my experiences too much before. And the other is telling. So giving them advice, telling them, Hey, why don't you go do this? Which again, that's not coaching because as a coach, you don't tell them Mm -hmm. you're really only asking questions. And that's, it's hard because when you know, you know something, you're like, oh, I got to tell, I wish I could just tell them. But how can you reframe this in the form of a question so that they come up with their own insight?
0: I'd be curious, Sonia, to hear a little bit more. So you've, you've given us a little bit of a compare and contrast when coaching and mentoring. Um, What are the differences in, in the words coach versus consultant?
1: So, a consultant in my mind, you're hiring someone. You know, with the, it's like I'm hiring you to just kind of have your brain on tap, right? It's like I have you, you know, for the next, you know, five hours. I can ask you anything. I can, you know, it's like, give me your knowledge. Tell me what what to do. So, I'm asking for you to basically tell me, right? You're I'm telling you, I'm giving you my knowledge. Coaching is a little bit different, where the the skill set of a coach is to ask really high quality questions and to um the consultant is kind of heavy loaded on the work right it's like okay as a consultant i'm trying to figure out okay what can i share what can i give you what resources can i give you so it's a very heavy loaded on the consultant as a coach you it's really heavy loaded on the client it's actually the client's doing a lot of the work you're you're asking these questions which of course the client the coach has to come up with. but then the, the the person has to really come up with the answers that forces them to dig deep and find the answer because we know that that people usually have the answer but they need help getting it out. Um, and so if you can ask the right questions that really make them reflect and maybe reassess a situation, that's how you you can provide the most value.
0: And I think sometimes the lines get blurred, right? You may have a consultant who does operate more in the style of what you're describing as a coach. I mean, I've interviewed people and talked to people, um, you know, was long history of of the Toyota people coming in. I interviewed somebody who was a supplier to Toyota and they they sent somebody in and, and they'll say things like, they never told us what to do. They never gave us the answers, but they were incredibly helpful. So it sounds like that's what, how, how one way maybe of describing somebody who's more in that coach category, right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, and they're all very valuable, right? And so it's not that, you know, if you're a coach, you can't ever consult to, and if you're a consultant, you can't, co- you know, you can do all those things. It's just knowing. So like when I, I know I'm kind of moving into the co- the consulting, kind of I'm putting that hat on. I'll let the person know that, you know, this is what's happening. Do you want, do you want us to go there? And is this something that you want to do? Um, but I'm very careful about, you know, making sure that I know, and they, if the client knows where we're headed.
0: I mean, there, there's a level of um, more of the counseling side that I've um, studied and learned where sometimes the, the client will specifically ask for input experiences advice. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Like, I think one thing that you have to be careful with it, but I think something that helps avoid the advice trap is when you share it in terms of like, well, here's something that one organization did. What are your thoughts about that? Right. You're not taking ownership of the decision. Even if they're trying to give it to you, don't take it and couch, that sharing in terms of like, I'm not telling you what to do, I'm sharing something. And now I want you to please think about it. Fair yes,
1: I love that, Mark. I, I really appreciate that because you're you're sharing something for them to reflect on, right? So you're providing the you know the baseline, this is this is what you need to reflect on, but you're still giving them the space to think about whether that will work for them and for them to make the decision on whether they want to do that um i we know like I mean, i'm sure you've you've experienced this where you share a great idea and they still don't do it right because it's not their idea <laughs> right so it's like how do yeah. you how can they come up with the idea themselves and you might help them get to that point but they got to come to it themselves otherwise it's not going to stick
0: yeah there's the dynamic of it's not their idea or you know fair it, it could be their circumstances are different enough where the experience or the idea that's shared might not apply, but it might spark them to come up with something that's different and better and a better fit yeah. and it's theirs. Now that's all good. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, so Sonia, I'd, I'd be curious to hear some of your thoughts, you know, as, as you've, you know, you've been a quote unquote lean coach and now you're working as a leadership coach. Can you tell us what what that shift has been like and what you what, what you would want to tell others about the differences there? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, um, sometimes there is a little bit of overlap, but, you know, when, as a lean coach, which I still do, uh, but as a lean coach, I'm usually coaching to the methodology and really using that as our framework. Okay. Let's, you know, let's, you know, you thinking about the A3, let's go through, you know, are we, you know, are you actually, you know, so I, I take that as the framework for the coaching when I'm coaching someone as a, just provide, helping them with their leadership development, I'm coaching the person. So I'm coaching them on their mindset, coaching them on, okay, what, what are some of the, what are the root causes of their resistance maybe, or what are the things that are really um, the real issue, right? So often we, we just see the symptoms, the same thing in, in process improvement, but we see the symptoms and we try to put a slap, a little bandaid on it. Right. It's like, okay, let's just do this thing, put the solution in place. But the problem doesn't go away because we never really did the hard work of digging into the root causes. And so with as a lean coach, we're digging into the root causes of the process. But as a, a leadership coach, we're really digging into the root causes of why this person is struggling. Okay, so, so that's what we're doing. And so I use a little bit of the kind of I, I do use some of some, some of the same thinking where it's okay. All right, we're we're talking real high. We're we're talking up here. We're talking about symptoms right now. And now we got to do the hard work to get into the root causes. And that's the part that's the hard work for the client. And that usually isn't done the first session. You know, usually it's like the second or third where we start getting into it. And then they that's when they start thinking about, wow, okay, you know what? Maybe maybe this is not an issue of strategies where I had this client most recently, he's like, give me the strategies, you know, just tell me the strategy I need to do to make this happen. And I said, you know, I can share the strategies. I can share some ideas of what might have worked for other people. Um, and I didn't say it this way, but I'm like, that's not, I knew that that wasn't his problem. I knew the problem was his mindset. It was the way that he was approaching it. But how do you get into that, right? So you, so you have to kind of slowly, you know, meet people where they are and start asking them questions to make them really think about and re- reflect on, hey, is this more of a, is this more of maybe the way that I'm approaching it? What perspective, what lens am I looking through? What if I looked at this, reframe this, this opportunity in a different way? Maybe I can see some different um, solutions. And it's very rarely a problem of strategy. It's usually more of a mindset, what your attitude is, what, you know, what, what's really bothering you about this? Because what you think it is, is probably not that.
0: Yeah. So in in a minute, I've jotted it down. I want to come back to this question of like finding the root causes of behaviors or reactions, but when you talk about somebody saying, you know, tell me the strategies. there are times when I've had clients get frustrated, and they'll say, "Look, you've you've done." Like, I think back. This is going back a while now. When I was doing work um, um, with a number of hospital laboratories, and and then once they know you've helped with lean and different laboratories, which can include improving flow, like literally rearranging the laboratory to help support flow. And I'm trying to guide them through it, like I'm teaching principles and some lessons, and helping them figure out their own layout, which might be similar to what other people figured out. But I'm not trying to force that or manipulate them to an answer. But they'll they get frustrated and say, "You know, this is taking too much time. Just tell us where we should put the machines." And you're right that 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 that's not. The best approach, but you make me think of the old joke of you know the consultant um, takes the client's watch and tells them what time it is. I could, th- I could see like an extension of that joke about a coach would be you know somebody asks the coach what time it is, and the coach asks, "Well, wh- what do you think about time? How would you determine what time it is? Have you considered other times that might be possible?" that might not be helpful either but there's the difference between like someone asking a question where there's a factual answer versus asking about strategy and and bigger questions right
1: well it's easier to to just say oh it's it's just give me the strategies just you know tell me what books to read just you know that that's the easy way but it's it's actually um not as effective right we we know that we know that's that's Yes, of course, all of that is important. But if you you are not ready, if you're not open to even changing, you're not open to that. Then it doesn't matter what strategies you have; it's never going to work because you're not open to, to changing. You're not open to um, growing or changing or maybe even kind of um, reshifting how you do things. You're not open to that. So you know, getting to that—that's the—that is the hard part. Um, and then you know, I. Even back to, you know, when I am doing lean coaching and, you know, lean consulting, I will ask questions around, okay, well, how will these strategies be different than what you've done before? Have you tried, what have you tried before? And so we talk about other strategies that they've tried. Okay. So was that a, you know, and, you know, we get into where are those bad strategies? Are they like, what were, well, no, there were good strategies. And okay, well, and so you start going down this path of them realizing that it wasn't the strategies. It was something else. Um, and so that's one way that you can kind of help them see that yes, I am here to share strategies with you, but that's kind of like step three or four. Maybe right now we're on step one and we have to figure out what that resistance is. Let's get past that, then get to okay, what do we need to do next?
0: Yeah, there's there's the openness to change, and then there's um the ownership where right? so you know if I told somebody put that machine over there, put those two together, blah, blah, blah. Like they might do it, but then they might not be invested in you know, going through iterations to make it work. Like, you know, because then, then, you know, if I've taken ownership, it's easy to blame. Or once I'm gone, yeah, we don't really understand. We don't really like it. We're not comfortable with this. Let's just move it back. That guy was wrong and, and life goes on. Right. Right. But back to, you know, getting to root causes of behaviors or reactions. You know, you mentioned, um, resistance to change. I mean, what, how, how, do you go about, I mean, do, do kind of the, the classic lean approaches for root cause analysis come into play, or do you, do you tap into different things from your education in psychology or coaching?
1: So I, I still, I always use the A3 framework for like any type of, any type of like problem, I, that's how I, my brain works. So I, that is how I, I approach it. But then I also use other tools, other frameworks to help identify what might be their resistance. And so there are six human needs that we all we all have, no matter who you know. This is after our basic needs are met, like food, shelter, all of that. We have six human needs. And so what I have found is when so we know our top two. So we prioritize these differently. Each person is going to prioritize these needs differently. My two may not match your two, but our top two will drive all of our decisions. So if you have a high need for certainty, right? Maybe there's, there's like, you just need things to always remain the same. And then someone's trying to make changes and it's the best thing possible for you. Right. But you don't care. You don't want anything to change. My son, my seven-year-old son he hates change. It's so hard for him. I mean, I, I will give him like the best thing, like it's like a new toy or something, brand, like something awesome. And he's like, no, I want my old broken, whatever, you know, cause he does not like change. And so, you know, taking that into account, if you can recognize that people have different needs and they're not all the same, and how can you meet everyone's needs? How can you meet each person's needs? Like on your team, for example, if you can figure that out, that will make a big difference in kind of passing, kind of getting through that resistance and and influencing their behavior. So if if you know if someone's certainty is their top need, then you have to give them time to process the change. So you, you don't want to just like, hey, I have this great idea, Mark. I'm going to change this up tomorrow. And you're going to totally, you know, completely throw them off. But you might say, hey, I have an idea. It's not something that we have to implement right away, but it's just, I'm just thinking about it. I want you to like, I want to share it with you here it is, or when is a good time? First of all, and you know, here's a, here's what it is. Let me know what you think, and we don't have to do anything about it right now. Give them time to think about it, and so that's one approach that you can use uh, for someone that has that as a need.
0: And then it, it's a challenge within a team; different people are going to have different prioritize needs differently, and so navigating that as a manager or as a coach or as a consultant. It's hard to find something that satisfies everybody's needs the best you can. How, how do you, how do you navigate that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that is definitely a challenge and it's an art, right? So you have to kind of look at that and say, okay, how can you address all of these needs? Right? So, so the next one is the need for variety. So there are people who want variety because they get bored, they get bored really easily. So they need an element of excitement, adventure, like, you know, they need some of that in there. Someone else's top need might be significance, they need to be acknowledged and they need to like you need to acknowledge the team in public or whatever they, they need that someone else's might be community they, they 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 have this strong need for connection and so this is like the, the person who's like they want to talk about their families they want team building they want all of that okay they don't want to even move forward and talk about goals and all that until the team has bonded okay so that's that's an element we want to build in someone else's might be contribution they want to know how are they making an impact in the company? How? What's my value? And then someone else's might be growth. So, for example, mine is my top need is growth. I want to know how is this making me grow as an individual? How is this making our company grow? What's the, what's the growth that we're going to see through this change? And so if you can take all of those needs and introduce some elements of each one of those into your maybe your communication plan, That is a start of how you can kind of help people address those needs.
0: So you talked earlier about trying to shift away from telling to asking questions. And that can be a deeply ingrained habit for some leaders. Um, Is there a root cause to that telling habit? And how do you help somebody shift away from that?
1: Hmm. Great question. I think it's probably a couple of different things in one, one, probably the biggest one is that most people, not everyone, but most people in leadership roles, they've, they've, they've gotten there because they, um, have, you know, some knowledge, they are experienced, they have, you know, some skill set, and, um, they know something, right? So, um, they have this credibility and they want to keep that up and they want to know they want to make sure that people see them as knowledgeable It's like i have to know the answers so i have to tell if i'm asking questions i'm going to look like i don't know the answer right so i have to know the answers so that's a misconception first of all of leadership the strongest leaders are not the ones that have all the answers okay right. that's number 1 um another thing is i think we're often rushed we go, we have short on time we don't have a lot of time so it's like it's just faster if i just tell my employee what to do then take the time to develop them and ask them questions that's going to take time i don't have time for that right i'm just going to tell you but the thing what happens is in the short term yes there are times when you have to tell of course like there's a, there's a fire like i need to just tell you where the fire extinguisher is i'm not going to ask you questions about it but you have to build in time. So I have a, a, someone I'm coaching right now, she's building this into her weekly one-on-ones with all of her staff. There's a development aspect. So after all of the other things are talked about, then she has a piece where it's just development time. And that is time that she's going to ask questions and there's no rush. It's like, this is your time. I'm just going to ask questions to help you develop as a leader, as an individual that takes time. And so there can be both, but you have to think about, is this a coaching moment or is this something that needs to just get done? And so deciphering when's the right time is really important as a leader.
0: So there's an, what I hear you saying is that there's often an art to managing or leading or coaching. We don't always have like a real strict standardized work to go by. Sometimes we're having to figure things out in a situational way.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, right? So you can have a framework, have some standard work, some leader standard work. Okay, this is what I need to do. But then you do need to figure out what, yes, it's 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 an art. And you have to figure out what's going to work for your staff or your team because the dynamics are gonna be different depending on you know where you're working. So it's not gonna be a you know one size fits all, but you can start with a framework. You can start with something and then see, okay, how is this gonna work for you and adjust it to your own style and adjust it to your own your teams in your organizations,
0: uh, style. Well, I also wanted to ask you here before we wrap up, Sonia, you know, I had mentioned upfront, um, the influential leadership Academy. Tell, tell us about that. You know, who is that, um, targeted to who signs up for that in terms of, um, you know, what types of roles or positions, um, for, for that?
1: Sure. Sure. So thanks for asking that. So basically, this is a a program to an online school where the main program that I teach, it's called Master Your Influence, Solve Problems Faster, Get Noticed, Make an Impact. And what it is, it's a a program where I teach people influence uh, techniques. And so there's a framework that I teach, and it's really around... And it's, it's meant for anyone who considers themselves a leader or who wants to be a leader, right? So it's not anyone who's in management necessarily, but it's anyone who wants to be a leader and wants to develop more influence, right? So you might have that title of manager, but you may not necessarily feel like you have any authority to make a difference. Okay. So it's about really about influence. How much influence do you have? And so that's what I teach. And so there's a series of different, you know, uh, modules and workshops that I teach Really helping people figure out the psychology behind what drives people. What's behind the the decisions that people make, the behaviors that we see, what's behind that? And what are some ways that you can show up with a greater presence? How can you show up in a way that people want to listen to you? They want to hear what you have to say, because that's all important part of solving problems. Right. The the scientific piece is you know of course we need to have that we need to have a method for how to solve problems we need that's important but that other element that other side is what I teach now which is about well how do you get into the psychology of, of of you know how do how do you talk to people how do you communicate with them in a way that makes them want to listen to you
0: and you you remind me of the old expression from Toyota folks and I think it's often attributed to Gary Convass, who was an American from the big, I think he worked for at least two of the big three. And then he came in, into Toyota. And his, as, as he was coached, you know, lead as if you have no authority. And that seems like the difference between authority and influence. The Toyota people seem to emphasize influence when, yes. when at all possible. Right.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Fi- final. I mean, you know, is there a final thought on like how, how like if someone is in that Authority habit that could involve telling and significance and in other needs. Um, I guess somebody has to want to give up some of that authority. Does that feel like a sense of loss?
1: I think that that has been my biggest, first of all, biggest lesson. You know, as as a leader myself, over you know, twenty years being in different various leadership roles, I learned that it's a strength when you can share your power. Um, the best manager that I ever had was a leader who shared her power. She was not afraid to share her power. And when you can, when you share your power, what you're telling the world is, I am confident in myself. I'm confident in my abilities that I don't have to hoard this power. I can share it with my team because I am confident that we're all going to figure it out together. That is the, the, the best way to kind of see if, the, if it's a strong leader or not. Um, and if you're trying to hoard your power because you think you're going to lose your power by, you know, giving it away, you're you're wrong. You you really want to give it away. That's the best way to grow yourself as a leader is to develop other leaders. When you share your power and you make other people more powerful, that is the best way to make yourself powerful. Well,
0: that's very well said and that's inspiring and I think that's a great note to end on. So again, our guest has been uh, Sonia Singh. You can learn more about the Influential Leadership Academy at influentialleadershipacademy.com. Any other websites or social media that you would point people to, Sonia, if they want to contact you?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram and uh, yeah, and on my website. So yeah, thank you so much for having me, Mark. Really had a lot of fun. sure thing.
0: Well, good. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest. This has been great.